Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Rodana Osban, here with my friend, Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masech and Moed Katan, daf Tet Vav, page 15. Well, this is, I would say, one of the more famous dafs in Moed Katan. And essentially what it does is, is it goes through a series of different prohibitions and obligations and tries to discuss three categories of people, the, uh, the Avel, the Menuda, and the Mitzora, and see which one applies to them. So if we, we're not going to read all of them, obviously, uh, but I kind of want to just give some framing a little bit to what's going on here. So there's, uh, again, as I just mentioned, there's sort of two categories that I would put in uh, the things that are discussed here, either prohibitions, things that we question whether or not the Abel, the Menuda, and the Mitzora is allowed to do, and there's a total of 10 of those, I think I counted correctly, haircutting, putting on tefillin, greeting people, studying Torah, doing laundry, working, bathing, wearing shoes, uh, marital relations, and uh, finally sending, you know, whether they're allowed to send sacrifices. Um, and then there's obligation. So there's certain activities that some of these people have to do as a way of showing that they're in that particular state. So one is wrapping of their head, which is not something anybody does anymore, but they would sort of like wrap their head in a way where they concealed a good part of their face as well. Uh, tearing your garment, rending your garment, um, and overturning your bed, right? That you don't sleep on a regular bed. Um, what's interesting is, is that the Abel is the category where uh, everything is true for, right? So everything that's prohibited, those 10 categories I listed, is forbidden for the Abel and the obligations, those, th- those three that I mentioned, uh, those obligatory actions to show that they're in a state of mourning, uh, is, uh, the Abel is obligated in all three. But then when it comes to the Menuda and the Mitzora, it's a little bit different. Um, and in fact, some of the categories that actually they say teku, it's not resolved. Hazal actually can't totally figure out uh, because they don't either have a pasuk or they don't have a rabbinic tradition, uh, what the case is. So it's interesting to fill in, for example, both for the menuda and the mitzora, it's unresolved. Greeting others, it's un- it's it's not resolved. It's a teku uh, for the uh, menuda. Um, bathing, it's a teku for both the menuda and the mitzora. And uh, wearing shoes, it's also uh, un- it's also un- not resolved for the menuda and the mitzora. Um, and also for the menuda, it's not resolved for marital relations and for sending sacrifices. Um, and interestingly, when it comes, well, sorry, we'll keep with the prohibitions. Um, and then in terms of what's permitted, both the menuda and the mitzvah are actually permitted to study Torah. Anne's going to talk a little bit more about that. Um, and the menuda is also permitted to work, actually. So, you know, if we were sort of going to rank, I would say, the categories of at least from the pro prohibitive actions, right? Avel is the most, I would say, has the most prohibitions. The Mitzorah is sort of uh, in between and the Menudas actually has the least amount of prohibitions. When it comes to these obligations, right? These three activities of wrapping your head, rending your garment or overturning your bed. Um, what's interesting to see is that in all three, the Menuda we say take We're not really sure or it's unresolved. We don't really have an answer whether it's true for them. And for the Mitsora, they need to wrap their head or rend their garment, but the overturning their bed is also something that's unresolved. 
So it's interesting the way the Gemara lumps these three together to discuss it, right? They literally go through, okay, here's the activity of El Menuda Mitzora. Um, but it is interesting to see sort of how strict or and how restrictive the activities of the Avel is, um, whereas there's a lot more leeway uh, with the Mitzora and even more leeway uh, with the Menuda. Um, so that was just sort of some words of introduction I wanted to give to that. And you may be able to find a chart in a Gemara that you're using that sort of lays out all those categories. But again, it's sort of 10 prohibitions, three what we would call sort of uh, acts that they're obligated to do. And the Avel must do all of those, all 13. But again, it varies for the Menudo and Mitzorah. The one other thing I just wanted to point out is that there's one thing that keeps coming up where it keeps mentioning that B'nai Yisrael were considered to be sort of in the category of a menuda while they were in the Midbar. Um, and so, um, you know, just to explain exactly what that's about, they don't really explain it here, but that essentially um, that period of time after B'nai Yisrael complained or, you know, after the spies, remember the Miraglim go, they, they spy on Israel, they come back with that report, <coughs> everybody gets freaked out. And then basically that entire generation is told that they're going to die over that 40-year period. Um, and, um, you know, and that basically, and that, that punishment is sort of in parallel to the 40 days that the spies were, um, were in Eretz Yisrael. And, that, and the reason why they're considered to be a menuda is, is that, that while that generation was sort of dying out in the Midbar, there, many people explain, and this is based on Sukim, that there actually was no direct communication between Hashem and Moshe at that time. And so therefore, it's like they actually were in this state of being menuda. They were actually excommunicated because they were sort of removed from the Shekhinah. They were removed from God's presence uh, during that time. And so I just wanted to give a little bit of background <clears throat> about, you know, when they say the B'nai Yisrael were menuda, it's not about sort of the state of being in a desert, right? Like that, oh, the, the experience of being in a desert is one of being excommunicated. It's specifically the experience of that generation, right? Who was punished after the hate of the Miraglim and no longer had that contact with God until that entire generation died. Uh, so I guess, Anne, I don't think I have anything else to add here and I will hand it off to you. I think you want to read the, the specific example about the Talmud Torah here. Right. So what I want to do, first of all, I apologize to everybody. I have lost my voice on top of the cough, on top of the sniffles, on top of everything. Now I've lost my voice, but hopefully it will be clear enough for you all to hear. Um, is, you know, as much as you've now provided the overview of the DAO, how all these categories kind of repeat and kind of work together in that way, I want to do more of a a focus, a spotlight, a deep dive into one of the topics and how it plays out with each of the personalities or, you know, categories of the, the categories of action versus the categories of people. So the Gemara says, Avel, Asur Bidivrei Torah. The mourner is prohibited from studying Torah. And this is learned, and, you know, I think that we don't always, throughout this Masachet so far, we have not always had psukim verses to back up the positions, right, halachic positions. In, sometimes, yes, but not always. In this case, we have a verse that where specifically 
Hashem says to the prophet Ezekiel, Dome, meaning be silent or or suffer in silence or sigh in silence, right? He was supposed to be quiet, this prophet, and not even discuss Torah matters, right? So that there are times then that it is appropriate for the mourner to, or for anyone, right? There are times that it is appropriate to not even engage in Torah study. And one of those times is when you are an, a mourner in this category. So then the guard goes on to, you know, to bring this forward to all of these different, as I say, personnel or people, you know, the with the traits here that we've been discussing all along. Menuda Torah. So then the Gemara wants to know what's the halacha for somebody who is in a is menuda, who is ostracized. Amar of Yosef Tashma, menuda shone vishonin lo niskar vinishkarin lo. So according to Rav Yosef, it was taught in a breita that the menuda can teach Torah to others, and others may teach Torah to him, and likewise he could be hired. In higher up, so the, whatever it is that gets in the way of the mourner's um, engagement with Torah, is for the menuda. And so, like we can think about, you know, why one and not the other once we have really like all these steps in the road, right? And now we've got a mukhra, someone who's been more formal than the menuda, mukhra, lonis kavlonis kavlonis. So as compared to the Menuda, who you can learn and can hire and be hired, has been excommunicated, cannot. He cannot teach to others. Others cannot teach him. That means that he cannot learn on his own. It doesn't say he can't learn on his own. You know, this person is really being excommunicated from the congregation at large, and he cannot engage with them, not even to and likewise, he can be hired by others, and he cannot hire. So it says, but I actually think that what I'm looking at it is not avail. Um, he can continue. So there's the category, right? He can study himself. So uh, lose sight of what he's learning. Right, it's so that he doesn't stop his study entirely. Him to forget what he already knows, and likewise, he can build a small and use it. Right? He can sell via that store. He can cover, you know. He's there's that he's going to be allowed to get rich off of the community, but the goal is not that he could should starve or something. Right, when it says he cannot, he cannot be hired or hire. This is you know. To what extent can you gain for business practices? And that we are like literally putting that to drop. That's not the goal. The goal is that he not be present or in community. And really, if you think about it, Torah or likewise working in a in a collegial kind of setting, right, where you either hire or are hired, you know, is very much. Um, Engagement in the community, assuming everybody's working within the community. The Rev. So Rev wants to know. Excuse me. What is what kind of store are we talking about that this man can open? Pakta. 
he says we're talking about selling water in the vat of Aravant, meaning water. You could sell water there. You could get some income. You can make some money. And so from this, we learn. So the Shmamina, the one who is awesome, is in fact allowed to study Torah with the assumption that there is leeway to engage in. Then, you know, a little bit of leeway with regards to the They're set up in parallel. You know, you could say that this person Torah. He's not allowed to teach and he's not allowed to be taught by us. You know, on his own, he can sit down and learn. Mitzorah, mahu b'divrei Torah. The person who's got Tzarat. Can he learn Torah? Tashma. And so here we do have a verse uh, that's going to teach, that's going to be explicit here. Vodatam livanecha olivnei v'livnei yom asher amat alivnei Hashem alkecha b'chorev. So the verse says in the book of De- Deuteronomy, Devarim chapter 4, you will you will impart or you will teach to your children and your children's children that day that you stood before God in Chorev. Malahalan be'ima uv'yira uv'virtit uv'ziyah mikan, I'm sorry, uv'ziyah. So he says, just as Matan Torah, just as Sinai was Given the Torah was given with reverence and fear, and fear, and I mean, all these words basically mean fear, trembling, right? So, the implication is that every generation is going to study Torah in that same way, in that same engagement of Matan Torah. Mikan Amru from Chazal said, the sages said, So, that people who have a status and a with regard to the rest of the camp, so to speak. So we're talking about uh, some kind of veneer disease, for lack of a better description. So the people have said, uh, if, there's, if somebody if a man had intercourse with a menstrual woman, right? Much of a... And yet, all of these categories of people, the people in the categories, are permitted from Torah and Nevi'im to them. They're allowed to learn in Midrash. And so all of these they can learn Torah. For all this question of is there somebody for whom it's not they by virtue of their very identity are the, you know, meaning we started with that with the mourner and the mourner we say you know should not be learning Torah and presumably that's in the country I would wager in that way that that because learning Torah brings some kind of joy you know the mourner is not appropriate for the mourner and likewise you don't want to distract the mourner from the mourner right but all these other, and then also the person who's the muhram who's in severe excommunication can't engage in Talmud Torah with others teaching and learning he can learn. So, of these personalities, right? We never say, "Oh, I'm sorry, you don't get to learn Torah." If you're a son, if you're a if you had for intercourse with a menstruant woman, that is somebody who is a very severe sin. 
severe punishment. But that person also is welcome permitted to engage in learning of Torah and Avim. Okay. Uvale Krein Asurin. But somebody who has had a seminal mission, a Balkari, is prohibited from the text of Torah. The concern in all of these cases of severe impurity, right? It's something that is completely beyond whereas the Gemara here seems to take the position that a Balkari, that the seminal mission is, you know, a person more serious, reverent, and conducting himself with the appropriate awe, then he would never have this um, status change to ha- to be someone who who had. I wonder about that just in the nature of how people people's biology function. But okay, right? I mean, mechanism by which to carry on learning Torah. Oh, Duncan Amikla, right? You wait your period of time. You go. Duncan Amikla, and you're good to go. We can't do that anymore. We're in the same degree, right? But like, all of this, <coughs> the Gemara concludes. Shmamina answer that question about the Mitzorah, that indeed the Mitzorah can, is permitted to study Torah. So when we go through all these cases, at the end of the day, virtually everybody, not everybody, but nearly everybody, gave them the Torah to study Torah. But Torah is not, you know, people, except for temporarily to be out of that Torah. Most specifically, the Balkan and the mourner and the uh, and that's it, right? Other people engage with Talmud Torah with other people, but on your own. And I feel like this is—I uh, don't know—all kinds of people walk around saying like, "You're good enough, you're not good enough, you're in the camp, and you, you're not." I feel like you know, if anything, the and, and the widespread practice that it has become um, teaches. To what extent, really, anybody can engage in Talmud Torah if they have but the right, you know, tools at their disposal and the and the desire to do so. So I think that that's I, one of the reasons I wanted to focus on this particular example is because it's a comment on what does it mean to be learning Torah as opposed to what does it mean to have that status of whichever status it is, mourning or mochram or whatever. So, you know, I think the whole way that they work this out and do it by each category, you know, often one of the things that's interesting to me with the holdup is often the Gemara looks for sort of parallels. But here I feel like what they're doing is they're taking whatever the scenario is, learning Torah, bathing, they take each category unto itself. Does that make sense what I'm saying, Anne? Like, I think I think it might be that. I think it does not apply. I think that you don't transfer the rationale just because right. you're still addressing the same like personality. Again, it's not exactly. a personality. You said it much better than me. Exactly. So it's interesting. Other times in halakha, we try to see, does a rationale transfer, right? And here, it's like very clear, that's not what we're doing here. The rationale is going to be different for each one, but yet we're going to discuss them as a group at the same time. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Yeah, which is, I, I don't know, it's like a little bit puzzling because often the Gemara loves to say, can I take a rationale from one area of halakha 
and apply it somewhere else. And here, they, they're sort of saying like, yeah, there's something a little bit in common, but the rationales are not going to be in common. I would note that this staff is very organized. Very organized, right, in a way that we don't often see, but it's a very, very organized staff. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank its reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend e. Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.